Today, we're continuing our series on prayer. So since you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew chapter 6 is where we've been in. We've been looking at the model that Jesus gave us for prayer. So Matthew chapter 6, we're starting verse 9. Jesus is speaking. He says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, we talked about the importance of knowing and approaching God as Father, that God wants to be relational with us. And we talked about how we can approach Him and we can ask Him for things as a Father. And the reason that's important is because like if if you and I were at Walmart and you walked up to me and you said, can you buy me some M&Ms? I'm going to think you're weird. Like that's not the type of relationship we have. If you ask me what time it is, we're good there. But if my sixth grade son asks me, can I buy some M&Ms? We talked about this last week. I'll either say yes, or I'll tell him, you're going to be in my sermon because you keep asking me for stuff. Remember we had that. But there's a difference in a relationship when we understand that God is our father. And we talked about last week how when we get and understand that God is a loving father and he loves us, it's like two wheels on a bike and it starts building momentum in our prayer life. We also talked about understanding that he's a father that's in heaven, which means he's big He's strong. He's powerful. My daddy can beat up your daddy. Okay. Our God is strong. Our God is big. So we have a father who's both personal and powerful. And today we're going to start by looking at this word hallowed. Okay. We're going to start by looking at this word hallowed. And it's not really a word that a lot of us use anymore. Um, It it can be kind of a, a, a word that we've said it if we've heard this prayer. We've heard it countless numbers of times. And I see they have all of my jokes that I'm about to tell you guys on the screen. Don't put them all up there at once. So I'm going to tell you guys back there. Don't put them all up there at once because it it loses the punch when you don't hear them. There's a buddy of mine. I did kids ministry for a long time. So a buddy of mine was teaching on this and he asked some kids, do you know what this means? How low would be your name? And so here are their responses that they gave to him. Here's some of the, just the best ones. I'm going to read these. So he asks kids, what does how low would be your name mean? And this is what one of them said. I don't know. Sounds like a dumb name. Who would name their kid how low would? <laughs> That's weird. Connor be my name. <laughs> the next one. Is that, some, is that what you call people born on Halloween? <laughs> or zombie people or something? Are they called how low would? No, that is not it. This one. Maybe... It's like an old person word for how loud someone is. Does it mean they shout a lot? If that's what it means, then my mom and teacher are how lowed too. (laughs) And this one's my favorite one. It sounds like a fake word. Are you trying to get me to cuss in another language? (laughs) That's kids for you. I am not saying this. So how lowed, it actually shares a similar root word with the word holy. And so hallowed means to be set apart, to consecrate, to remember to, that something different than what we are. So when we go to prayer and we're, we're hallowing God, hallowing is an act of praying where we're honoring, we're adoring, we're remembering and praising the greatness of God. Jesus teaches us that when we open our lips to prayer, we got to remember that we're praying to a father, but then we're praying to someone who is worthy of our praise who is worthy of our adoration. It's shown time and time again in scripture that this is the model of how we should approach God. In Psalm 100 verse four, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
Give thanks to him and praise his name. And sometimes people are like, why do we start with praise? Why does an all-powerful, all-knowing king, why does God want us to start with praising him? You know, I've had a couple different times I've had this same conversation. Why does God need our praise? Is he selfish or something? Like, and I always say, selfish, he died for you. Like, what are you talking about? And they'll say, well, why does God need us to tell him how cool he is and how great he is and to praise his name? Why does he need that? Is he some kind of narcissist? Is he delusional? Why does he need us to do that? Let me tell you something. And I I would tell anybody this. God doesn't need your praise. He really, truly doesn't. It's not like coffee in the morning where if he doesn't have your praise, he doesn't wake up. That is not, he does not need your praise to function. God is whole unto himself. But guess who needs praise? You do. You're the one who needs to, you're the one who needs to praise. Your praise doesn't make him any more God. But in fact, hallowing, hallowing God isn't for God's benefit, it's for our benefit. And here's why we need this. I'm be real blunt, because you're, you're like, all of us are really selfish. We truly are. I'm just as bad as y'all. When I wake up in the morning, you know who I'm not thinking about first? God. Usually I'm thinking about going to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> but when I wake up, my wife, she wakes up and she is a smile and a bounce in her step. It's ridiculous. I wake up with a thud and a frown like a man. Yeah. And it takes me a little bit to shake it off. But all I'm thinking about it when I wake up is myself. All I'm thinking about is what I got to do next. Okay, you got to wake up. You got to get moving. You got to do the things. And your initial thing you think about is almost always you. And sometimes that sets you up to continue thinking about you. If you've got kids, sometimes it's okay. I'm going to make sure that they're going. But usually it's just so that you can get to your next thing. So to be honest, a lot of times that's what fills our minds. It's me, myself, and I. And God is saying, I need you to stop. I need you to focus in on me. I want you to praise me. And I want you to focus instead, me, myself, and I, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's shift this up a little bit. And it's not because, remember, it's not because he needs your praise. It's you need your praise. And here's why. You need your praise because what you magnify gets magnified. What you magnify gets magnified. When you wake up in the morning, and we all have needs, and we're going to get to those eventually. But when you wake up in the morning, and the first thing you start to do is think about your needs. When the first things that flood our mind are our problems. Guess what we're doing with our problems when they're the first thing? We're magnifying our problems. We're magnifying our own needs. We're making those things bigger. And now your problems begin to look bigger than God because you put those things first. So that's why we don't go straight to God as many times with just our needs because we're magnifying our problems. But if you take a moment and you magnify God, when you praise him, you make him big to you, guess what it does? It makes your problems come in perspective. When you realize I have a God who's in heaven and can take care of it all, It makes my problems be put back into proper perspective. They're not the big thing in front of me. My God is the big thing in front of me. That's why we praise. Today, you know, my my daughter, she's like, why are you wearing your glasses today? So 
I'm about blind as can be. I am. And usually I have my contacts in. But today, I want my glasses because I'm nearsighted. So what that means is, if I take these off, I see blobs and colors. I don't know how much time I have left. I don't know who's falling asleep out there anymore. Um, I can't hardly see anything. But if I pick up the water, I can read it because I can see things that are close to me. I can see the things that are closest to me. I have to put these glasses back on so I can actually, so the things out here are clear and magnified. We are so nearsighted a lot of times as Christ followers that all we see is right, what's right in front of us. I have a deadline at work. That's right in front of me. I have a relationship that's just a huge problem right now. That's right in front of me. Um, I, I'm really struggling at school right now or I'm dealing with some kind of anxiety and that's right in front of us and that's all we see. And God's saying, I need you to put on your hallowed glasses so you can see a little bit clearer. That you can see out there farther. That you can see in the distance that I'm still God. It doesn't make the problem any less real. It's, I, you got to remember that I am bigger than all of this. And we come to God and we give him praise. Because what we have to know is, you know, God, sometimes you feel far away. But when I magnify you, I remember how close and how good you really are. When my hope feels far, far away, I have to praise God and say, God, I need you to remind me how great you are and that he begins to just soften it and give, give you hope. And a lot of you, you say, you know, that, that's hard. It is. It can be difficult. And there are times when you're going through hard seasons in life and you're like, this doesn't feel like a good time to worship and to praise. But there are times when praise is like an act of defiance. As an act of defiance against an enemy who would try to beat us down, we respond with hallowed praise. As an act of defiance to these negative things and thoughts that would try to just weigh us down, almost as an act of defiance, we say, I'm going to still praise God. Even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to still praise God. In Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, we we covered this a few months ago in our Philippians series, but in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are, are going through and there's this girl that is being basically used and abused by some guys. Paul and Silas, they set her free from this bondage. They set her free from these men. These men make up bogus claims. Paul and Silas were going into town to try to find a temple so they can have a prayer gathering. And they end up in chains Backs against a prison wall, locked up, uncomfortable, not a place where they had wanted to be. And read this with me, Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says, at about midnight, and let me stop there. Some of you guys feel like you're at midnight in your life right now. You're at a dark place. You feel like you're hopeless. You feel like things are kind of locked up, messed up. But about midnight, Paul and Silas, here's what they were doing when they were in that situation. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. They're praying and singing. They're in the middle of this mess. And at the darkest moment at midnight, they just are praying and they're singing praises to God. Hallowed be your name was a longing to see God here and now even in the midst of your mess, even in your midnight, even in your mess, when you start praising God, you're saying, God, I know my life right now is a little messy, but you're still good. 
God, I know my life is kind of screwed up right now, but you're still God. God, I know I feel like things are out of control, but you're the God who's still in control. And that's why Jesus has given us this model of remember who you're praying to, but then go and praise and lift his name up. God is still good even when our circumstances aren't. Then the story goes on. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So one thing leads to another. In this dark moment at midnight when they're praising God ends up that later on you read in the story, this guy, the jailer, his whole family, they come to know Jesus. They're baptized. A church is planted and started. And it all started out of the midnight mess, glorifying and praising God. They sang in a jail cell and God showed up. Sometimes we need to get back to just praising God even when it's hard, even when it's hurting And just ask God, I need you to show up in a new way, even in the middle of my mess. And I've heard people say this over and over again. And I hear what they're saying and I value it and I honor it. They'll say, we don't pray enough in church anymore. And there's some validity to that. I hear what they're saying, but here's what I think that we all miss sometimes. That whole thing we just did at the beginning of service The whole thing when we were saying and singing songs to God, that's hallowed prayers. We spend the whole first half of our service actually, if you you were praying and praising God, we're speaking to him. We're telling him how great he is. That's actually how Jesus told us to start our prayers, to hallowed, to how awesome, how amazing. That last song, that word, holy, holy, they were saying it over and over again. So when you come to God and you come to him in moments of worship, that's when we're praising God. And we've come to this idea that prayer is what we do when we need something and praise is something we do when we've actually got something, when we're having something good happen. That when we need something, that's when we just go to God in prayer. But there's something different called praise. And when God shows up, that's what we do. No, it's all communicating with God. It's all prayer. If we limit our praise just to moments of celebration, we're missing out on a far greater vision of why God wants us to hallow his name. I'm going to give you guys, some of you guys, some freedom and some breakthrough. A lot of you, you think to yourself, man, I don't get the whole prayer thing. I'm not good at it. If you're real blunt and honest, which I always love because that's who I am. I've heard people say, it's just kind of boring. It doesn't feel like anything. I don't get it. And I, I value those feelings. And this is what I'll say to you. Do you, enjoy, do you enjoy worship music? Do you enjoy praising? And a lot of them are like, yeah. I say, start there. Just start there. When you sing, when you worship, that is an act of prayer. And that's where actually Jesus tells us to start. So why not just start there and allow your prayer life to be built off of that? And when you're Singing those songs, take those words to heart. Don't just be moved by chord progressions and pretty music. Actually think of the things that you're saying and mean them. And saying, praise God. And that is a great way to start building a prayer life that you think, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Okay, start by just praising his name. Jesus gives us permission right here. Hallowed be your name. So if you don't even know where to start, if you feel like you're not good at it, turn on some worship music and just go for it. That's an act of prayer. We have to remember that. 
Those are moments when we can pray. And I said something, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I said, when we pray, we're magnifying God's name. Magnify means to make something bigger. I cannot make God bigger. Okay, so when I magnify, I'm not making God bigger. That's not what we're doing. It's like a telescope. If I look at the moon in a telescope, the moon doesn't suddenly become bigger. It just becomes clearer. And so when we magnify God's name, we're not making him any bigger. When we magnify God, it doesn't just make God bigger. That would be impossible. We can't make God bigger, but it helps you realize how big he already is. So when you praise and you magnify, it's not making God bigger. It's just you seeing clearly how big God actually is. So we remember how great of a father we have. Then we praise his name. And then it continues. The words of Jesus teaching They say, hallowed be your name. And then verse 21 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's two things that we're going to hit on real quickly here. This prayer is doing two things. First, we're submitting to the king of heaven and earth. When we say that, we're submitting to the king of heaven and earth. The second thing is we're calling on the resources of heaven. We're calling on the resource of heaven to invade earth, to do something here that has only been seen and done in heaven. I'm going to step on some toes. So tuck your feet in. All right. But I'll start it. I'll start it nice. I'll start it nice with just a fun story and then I'll step on your toes real hard. So how many of you guys have ever experienced culture shock? Okay, you've experienced culture shock. And what that means is you just go to a place, you experience something that's unfamiliar to you and it feels a little bit different, awkward, uncomfortable. You can experience culture shock in all kinds of different ways. You can experience culture shock right now at this very moment, just going to another church in the same town, worshiping the same God and doing it very differently. Not wrong, just different. And you'd be like, what is going on? What's happening? We could experience culture shock going down to to Nashville on Broadway Street on a Friday night. Yeah, that's kind of culture shock. When you see pink cowboy hats and boots, pink cowboy boots of all the bachelorette parties, and you're wondering, what kind of culture is this? Do they power car- that's all the pedal cars and the alcohol? And you're like, what is going on at this place? Some of y'all are like, that's not culture shock. That's Friday night for me. Good. <laughs> We're glad you're here. But there's all kinds of areas, and that's just within two hours. You go even farther just in our own country, and you can experience far different culture than what we're used to here. I grew up on the West Coast. Culture there is very different than it is here in Kentucky. And culture on West Coast is even far different than when I grew up there. So let me share a story. I went back to visit about, about last year. My sister, she still lives in the Portland, Oregon area which Portland, Oregon is the oddest of the odd place. But it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. The, the mountains, and within an hour, you're in mountains. With the other hour, you're at the beach. It's just, it's a beautiful, gorgeous place. But unfortunately, in that town, homelessness and drug use is, is a significant problem that they have. And I remember going and visiting, and when I first get off the plane and we're driving culture shock set in because like this is not the area that I grew up in there's tents everywhere people not have 
There's not just some people that are homeless. A lot of people have chosen to live homeless. And they're on the sides of the highway. They're in parks. If you've got a strip of grass in front of your house, there's going to be a tent there. They're everywhere. And we're driving along and my sister's saying nothing. And I'm like, this is not normal. And eventually at one point we had to go into a Harbor Freight to get something. And we go into this tool store. And as we're walking into the store, there's a a person that's got a little tent in front of this store, right in this little section of grass. And I'm watching them with a little hatchet and they're chopping up an old pallet. And we walk into the store, we get the things we need. And as we come back out of the store, this person has started a campfire right on the sidewalk. I'm like, what is going on? People don't start campfires on sidewalks. We get in the car and I say, what is, my sister doesn't even notice it. Because the culture has become so familiar to her that it does, she just doesn't notice it at all. Me, on the other hand, I've got major culture shock when I see it. And sometimes I wonder if over thousands of years, the church, which was once a beautiful, gorgeous thing, has lost its identity in the culture that it should be and we've lost our way and that people, if they would have, if we had people that could like travel time that originally launched the church and they saw us today, if they'd be like, what happened? What happened? We were supposed to be asking the kingdom of God to come and invade and it looks like the kingdom of the world has invaded and they've given up. Again, I'm going to step on some toes. There's a sociology book called The Rise of Christianity. I'm going to read a part of it. It just says, it talks about how this small little movement of of Jesus followers ended up impacting and changing the world. And it says this, in the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians were the minority. They had no rights. They couldn't cast a vote. People like Nero tried to destroy them. And yet the kingdom of God exploded onto the scene. How did they do it? They stood in stark contrast to the kingdoms of this world and what everyone else considered as powerful. They didn't have power other than love and action. So they served and cared for the sick. They shared all they had. They took care of widows. They ran into the darkness of the forest and into the wilderness to retrieve deformed and unwanted children that had been abandoned and left behind. They touched the untouchables. They loved the outcasts. And within a short period of time, They became the official religion of the kingdom that had once wanted to destroy them. I love this part that it says they seemingly had no power other than love in action. And in that love, the kingdom was flipped upside down. All too often, especially a lot of us in the church, we look to the kingdom of this world to change the problems of this world. We look to the kingdom of this world to bring about the change that we desire. And if we think the kingdom of this world, if we think if the right person is voted in, if the right laws are passed, that that will change things, we are grossly mistaken. As a team, we we prep our sermons and this was a statement that was made. The entire Old Testament shows that we can't legislate away sin. It means we can't make laws that all of a sudden makes sin disappear. That's why we needed Jesus. 
You know, I remember seeing a church sign a few years ago. And it said, I'm, I'm casting my vote for Jesus as president. Okay. Guess what? He's not running for president. That would be a major demotion for the king of kings. <laughs> he is not running for president. If Jesus wanted to come to make an impact and a difference using political means, he could have done it. He could have become king when he was walking the earth. In fact, that's what they wanted to do. John 6.15. Jesus has just fed thousands of people. They're enamored by what he can do for them, which is a lot of times why we like certain politicians. We try to see what can they do for us. And they decide they're going to try to make him king. John 6.15 says, Jesus knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus didn't come to start a revolution through an earthly nation. He didn't come to start a revolution through a kingdom of this, just this world. He came to provide a way for you and I to be reconciled with God. And he did come to start a revolution, but not through a kingdom, through a people. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, talking about us, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He came to start a revolution through the church. We are his plan. There's no country, no nation. We are his plan. The church is his plan. Again, I might make some of you mad, but I don't put my hope in Washington, D.C. I put my hope in heaven. I don't put my hope in the Constitution. I put my hope in Scripture. I find my foundation there. We don't put our hope in any earthly kingdom. We put our hope in Jesus. And I love our country. I love the freedom that we have here. I love the things that we were able to do. But don't hear me wrong on this. I don't want God to just bless America. I want God to bless Americans, Mexicans. I want God to bless Canadians. I want God to bless Russians. I want God to bless French. I want God to bless Iranians because it's not just about God blessing us. God came for all of humanity, not just the humanity that's around you. And if we don't like that, we get to take that up with God. God said, love your enemies. Even the people that act, think, are different than us. We still are to love those people. To be honest, to share Christ with them, but to do it in love. So instead, we're coming up on another season that could be really divisive with people. And I want to encourage you, instead of praying for the right person to be elected... Pray for revival. Instead of just praying for the right person to be elected, pray for revival. And what that means is just an awakening. And I, here's the kind of awakening. Is we need God to just awaken. But I don't want you to pray for revival for your nation. I don't want you to pray for revival even just for your city. You need to pray for revival for yourself. For your family. For your own self. We need to pray that God would do something in us. That's the your kingdom come, your will be done. It's submitting everything we have to God and saying, God, I'm calling on your kingdom to be here, not just my kingdom. It's amazing so many times 
We talk about the problems of our world and man, I wish I'm praying for God to bring revival. But then at home, we're not generous. We don't serve our church. We don't serve our community. How can we pray for God to do revival when we're not actually living out godly principles in our own home? A lot of times what we're praying is we want cultural comfort so that cultural Christianity will come back into power. I don't want that. I want the church that's on fire with people that are actually revived because they're living out what Jesus has called us to do here on this earth. Let me give some differences between our culture and kingdom culture. Our culture culture says, we love your friends, cancel your enemies. Kingdom culture says, Jesus canceled our sins and we love our enemies. In our culture, we can never seem to have enough stuff. Kingdom culture says we can always look for more to give away. In our culture, people are too busy to serve, too fearful to give generously. Kingdom culture, serving others and giving generously is just the standard way of life. In our culture, church has just become a house of religion that people attend on Sunday. Kingdom culture, church is a house in motion where people are impacted daily. In our culture, this one really is going to step on toes. In our culture, our schedule, if they could talk, it would say sports are king. Kingdom culture, our schedule would shout Jesus is king. If he's not the king of your finances, if he's not the king of your schedule, if he's not the king of your lips and your actions, then when you pray your kingdom come, your will be done, it's just, it's heaping up those empty prayers. So yes, we want to pray that God's kingdom would invade our lives. And we can't allow any other identity to step ahead in line of our identity and who we are in Jesus. There's no social issue. There's no other thing that can step in line of who we should be claiming first. And that's I belong to a different kingdom. Yeah, I live in this area, this city, this state, this country, but I am a kingdom dweller of heaven. My king is Jesus. Your kingdom come is a surrendered prayer. And it's not a prayer that says, God, would you come and watch? It's a prayer that says, God, would you come and rule? So if you're going to pray that, what you're praying is you're saying, I submit to your authority and I'm going to live the way that you've asked me to live. So again, we've praised God. We've surrendered to his will. But we also, when we're saying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is I'm calling on the resource of heaven to invade the earth and to make an impact and a difference here. When Jesus walked the earth, he gave glimpses of heaven all the time. What that looked like is when he would provide where there was no provision, when he would open blind eyes, when he would bring hope to the hopeless, when he would give purpose to people that seemed like they'd lost their purpose, when he'd tell people to get up and walk, when he raised the dead, he was giving glimpses of the heavenly kingdom here on earth. And I believe God can still do amazing things today. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're calling on the resource of heaven to invade this earth and for God to reveal and show himself to still be powerful, to be mighty, to be a miracle worker, to do amazing things. That's what we're going to do on Friday night. We're going to worship, we're going to sing, but we're going to call and we're going to say, on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, there's no shame. In heaven, there's no sickness. In heaven, there's, there's, no, there's no pain or hurt. And so when we say that, we're saying, God, we want a glimpse of that now. And Jesus gives us 
He tells us we are allowed to do that. So call on God to make an impact and a difference in your life. So our prayer lives, as we wrap up, is, is this. Pause and remember God is relational Father. We talked about that last week. Praise and magnify His name. Praise and magnify His name above your problems. Submit your desires to God's kingdom and then call on God to invade this earth with His power. When we go to God in prayer, we should be doing those things. God, you're relational. God, you're amazing. I submit to you, God. And God, I believe that you can do anything and you can impact this place. So let's just pray that today.